Welcome to another episode of Best on the Block. I'm Kimberly Morrison of the BMP Brand, a nonprofit marketing agency, building the community one brand, one business at a time. Best on the Block is the podcast that provides you with personal and business brand coaching and guidance. We'll be your partner to becoming your own Best on the Block. Let's talk about marketing. We'll revisit what we talk about every week, which is marketing your business and what are you actually marketing? Are you trying to market your service, your product, or your story? Your brand in this journey should lie somewhere in the middle of how you make them feel, what you say, and what you do. So the goal is to figure out where that is for you. Where's your gauge? The aim of marketing, though, is to know and understand the customer so well that the product or service that you're marketing fits him and it actually sells itself. So those will be your three mantras that we'll talk about and mention on each episode. So I'll reiterate, your brand lies somewhere in the middle of how you make them feel, what you say, and what you do. This episode is gonna probably for sure touch on all three of those. How a brand has made someone feel, what that business or brand says, and what they actually do. This particular episode is when a brand goes bad. That has happened a lot lately uh, in the world that we live in. But we're going to talk about some real business-related reasons why a brand goes bad first. And then we'll discuss some cultural reasons why a brand goes bad. First, let's talk about Toyota. How does a great established brand like Toyota that is built over decades loses its way so quickly? For that matter, how did General Motors stumble? And how about Kmart, Washington Mutual, and Circuit City suddenly become irrelevant? How do those brands just all of a sudden lose their relevance and their impact on our communities? One day these companies were global leaders, the next seemingly they were flat on their backs, bleeding years of brand building and future sales and profits. In almost every instance, and I'll reiterate those brands we're talking about, Toyota, General Motors, Kmart, Washington Mutual, and Circuit City, in almost every instance, the signs of decline were readily available through consumer research, employee surveys, competitive comparisons, but were ignored until they grew into an unavoidable disaster. Company executives missed the opportunity to right the ship and right their wrongs because they stopped focusing on what it would take to consistently win over their customers. Winning brands constantly and consistently develop and sell products and services that beat their competition. Customer measures, value relationships versus competition, and long-term investments can be sacrificed to quarterly numbers, a global sales target, or a power struggle inside the company. Marketplace success is taken for granted while the new measures assume prime importance. When all systems are go, profits and stock price, prices look the same as customer satisfaction, but they're really not. And future sales, even though they're not. So I'll repeat that. When all systems are go and all cylinders are running, Oftentimes, you can confuse your profits and your stock price for customer satisfaction and put them on the same level. But they're not. It is so crucial and critical that customer satisfaction and customer need become the core and the key of whatever endeavor that you're doing. With that said, in the age of social media and the internet, it is so crucial that you pay attention, are very conscious of customer satisfaction and customer need. Reason being, your customers or those who are using your services or those who you are influencing, they can see you at a drop of a hat because you're posting, you're tweeting, you're on live either on Instagram or Facebook, and whatever you're saying and whatever images you're putting out there, they're using that information to make decisions on whether they support your services or your product. 
So it's very vital that you concentrate on customer need and customer satisfaction. And that means keeping an eye and a real good tick on what you're putting out there. In other words, what is your brand saying to people? How are they making them feel? What do they see you do? Let's discuss seven times when what we seem to believe are good brands go wrong because of their viral image and the reasons why they went wrong. In the modern era of mobile devices and social media, any brand can instantly become a viral sensation or a viral nightmare. And it oftentimes doesn't take much for either one of those to become a reality. It takes an instant. Some campaigns can be, or thought to be, well, thought out and planned. I'll say that again. Some campaigns can be, and they're thought to be, we assume they are, well thought out and planned. We believe, based on what we're viewing, that they're aiming to strike at just the right emotional chord with the large audience and hopefully going down in commercial lore as one of the funniest, wittiest, or creative campaigns ever. That is our assumption as the customer. We assume that brands have put a lot of time and energy into what they're putting out there. So in other words, if it doesn't resonate with us, we assume that's really what you wanted to say. And we're going to make our buying choices and our impact choices based on that. Because we assume you put time and energy in that. Challenges sometimes with viral campaigns, people don't put a lot of energy into it because it's so instant. A lot of times brands miss that completely. They do not put the time and energy into crafting their brands, going viral, as they would doing traditional um, campaign methods such as television, um, print media. You have to take time with those things. Going on social media, you don't. You can do it tomorrow if you like. So brands miss the mark. Here's seven brands that went viral for all the wrong reasons. These were brands that were either really strong or moderately strong, and their viral image brought them down because they didn't plan. They didn't take time to understand that this could be the death of us. I started with old Uber. Now, while Uber, you know, everyone uses Uber or Lyft or what have you, but they could have succumbed to what happened to them in 2017. So Uber started in 2017 in the same fashion that it ended in 2016 with its head down. After finishing 2016 with just under $3 billion in losses, Uber faced even more problems as the year turned and the new president of the United States took office. Not long after being inaugurated, Donald Trump announced his controversial immigration ban that targeted predominantly Muslim countries' citizens from entering the United States, including Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. The U.S. government also revoked more than 100,000 visas from foreigners throughout the world. Many taxi and ride-sharing drivers are immigrants, including immigrants from some of those restricted countries. In response, the New York Taxi Workers Alliance called for a temporary strike for rides to and from JF Kennedy, JFK Airport in New York City for an hour. Then Uber announced via Twitter that it had turned off surge pricing at JFK during the protest. The move, which was made to illustrate that Uber was not trying to profit from the strike, was soon considered a strike-breaking move that favored Trump's travel ban. And the hashtag, delete Uber, ride-sharing boycott was on. The next day, Lyft had more iOS downloads in the United States than Uber for the first time ever. Lyft became more popular and visible. It improved to a top five spot on the free apps list ahead of the most popular social networks like Facebook, Instagram, 
Snapchat, and YouTube. And that was far from the end of Uber's bad year. Less than one month later, a former Uber engineer published a scathing blog post on her personal website describing the big problems Uber had internally, specifically with sexism and lack of leadership, as well as accountability. She detailed how her supervisor had been very forthcoming with sexual conversation and trying to get me to have sex with him. She detailed how the, the existence of sexism at Uber went far beyond just her story. It was rooted deep in the culture at Uber, and the stories were far more common than she ever imagined. There were also legal issues that hit the company, including a lawsuit dealing with the use of intellectual property, a federal inquiry into software tool that allowed Uber to sidestep law enforcement, and claims that Uber operated illegally in Oregon, among a number of other really strong accusations. Oh, and yeah, and the CEO also got into an argument with an Uber driver about earnings in a video that soon became public and definitely further soiled Uber's image. It wasn't long before CEO Travis Kalanick was ousted from the company. It's a company he helped build. And a full makeover of a rotten company culture was underway. Then, most recently, in November, it was made public that Uber did not report a data breach by hackers in 2016 who stole data of more than 57 million people, both drivers and passengers, of the ride-sharing service. The hackers stole names, driver's licenses, email addresses, and phone numbers. Luckily, the worst part of the data hack included the cover-up, including the cover-up, um, following the embattled former CEO, Kalanick, and not the new CEO, and forgive me, I really will not try to pronounce her name. It's spelled K if you want to look it up. K-H-O-S-R-O-W-S-H-A-H-I. Who said none of it should have happened, but that he would not make excuses for it. Uber is one of the most popular, highly valued private companies in the world. But it was certainly light to put 2017 in its rear view. And because of social media, the internet, and the fact that everything we do these days has the potential to go viral, Uber found out that they've got to plan. You have to put more traditional, foundational um, plans into what you're putting out there as a company. Now, number two. <sighs> the U.S. Department of Education. Who knew they had a brand until they screwed it up, right? Based on the background of Miss Betsy DeVos, the Donald Trump-appointed Secretary of Education who never, one, attended a public school, two, ever enrolled her children in a public school, and three, the way many Americans vocally opposed her throughout her appointment, she was a proponent of taking children out of public schools and putting them into charter schools. So the woman that had been appointed to be the Secretary of Education, get these three points, had never attended public school, never enrolled her children into public school, and was a public proponent of pulling our children out of public schools and put them into charter schools. Isn't that a lot to unpack? So less than a week after being confirmed to the U.S. Senate, the U.S. Department of Education tweeted a picture of American author and civil rights activist W.E.B. Du Bois, accompanied by a quote by him about the importance of education. Here's the problem. The quote in the tweet was attributed to W.E.B. Du Bois, and the Twitter world was quick to notice. Among the many ironies in the misspelling, i.e. the Department of Education published the tweet, the tweet was about the importance of education, the quote was that of a scholar and an author, etc. 
was the apology tweet that was published following several hours of criticism. The now-deleted apology post updated our deepest apologies for the earlier typo. The Department of Education followed up that tweet with another correctly spelled the word apology. Post updated our deepest apologies for the earlier typo. Okay, I'm going to go back because I got to unpack this a little bit if you didn't follow this story. First and foremost, the Department of Education had really big issues um, with their image when they appointed or allowed the president to appoint with no um, opposition, Betsy DeVos, DeVos, who had never attended a public school, nor had her children in a public school, and was a huge proponent of pulling children out of public school and putting them into charter schools. Now, less than a week after that, the U.S. Department of Education tweeted a picture of American author and civil rights activist W.E.B. Du Bois. And it was accompanied by a quote by him about the importance of education. Now, with that said, they misspelled Du Bois. The Department of Education (laughs) published a tweet and quoted W.E.B. Du Bois and misspelled his name. The Twitter world quickly caught it and complained. And among the ironies of that misspelling is that when they went in to apologize, they misspelled apology and then had to go back and apologize for misspelling apology. Crazy. This is our country's Department of Education. Highly unlikely in my lifetime that I thought that would happen, but it did. So that's Department of Education. Number two. Number three of viral instances that tore down a brand or at least had it sideswiped was United Airlines. One of the worst public relations nightmares of the year came when at the hands of United Airlines by way of cell phone video and images of a bloody passenger being physically removed from a plane. Things do go viral these days because everyone has a camera on their phone. Turns out United asked all loaded passengers if any four of them that wanted to volunteer to get off the current flight and receive an $800 credit for their troubles. I've done that a thousand times. I'm traveling for work or even, you know, personal reasons. And the plane is overcrowded. They've oversold. And they'll offer, you know, money for you to catch a different flight. When my mother was alive, I took it each time because they gave us the opportunity for mama to fly. So this is what happened on United. And I'm a frequent flyer on United. So I know this happens all the time. Now, very few times has it happened once I'm sitting in my seat. Hence the issue here. So again, United asked for four passengers to get off, get out of their current seat. Let me make sure this is clear. Everyone's loaded. They asked for volunteers of four passengers so that they can make new arrangements and they can make room for four United employees. You heard that right. They didn't want current paying passengers. They didn't want them to make room for an oversold flight. They wanted to make room for employees. Now, no one volunteered. Rightfully so. I'm ready to go home or to get to my business meeting or whatever it is the reason while I'm on that United flight. I'm not giving up my seat for the United flight attendant. I'm not. So when this happened and no one volunteered, United forcibly removed at least one passenger, Dr. David Dowell of Kentucky. Cell phone footage shows security officers donning police jackets, which were later considered mislabeled by Chicago's aviation department, dragging Dr. Dowell out of his chair and down the aisle with blood streaming from his mouth 
and looking dazed as onlooking passengers screamed in horror. I saw that video, and I'm sure you guys did too. The aftermath for Dr. Dow. A broken nose, two knocked out teeth, and a concussion. For the airline who admitted responsibility for the mishap, four Chicago Department of Aviation officers were immediately placed on leave in April, two of whom were eventually fired for mishandling an, a non-threatening situation that resulted in a, physical, in a physically violent and forceful removal of a passenger. And a PR debacle of epic proportions that included United stock dropping 4% in the first week and its market value being reduced by $1 billion. $1 billion. That becoming a viral nightmare cost United $1 billion. This was the third PR issue for United in 2017, all in a two-month span. Following its barring of two girls from a flight for violation of a dress code because their leggings in a separate situation involving a scorpion that got on a flight headed to the United States and stung a passenger before being disposed of. So United had two different debacles before they pulled a bloody Dr. Dial off that flight. As bad as the situation seemed, it didn't take long for United to bounce back. Stock prices rose higher than they were before the incidents, and United seemed to make it right with Dr. Dial, who said he would likely sue the airline before being paid out on an undisclosed amount in the wake of the incident. So, <sighs> while it worked out, I am sure the CEO and other leaders of United would love to have that $1 billion back. I, I'm quite sure. I guarantee. Number four, Adidas. This one was interesting to me. Adidas's PR nightmare could have been totally avoided with the simple help of a, remember we talk about foundation? If they had a proofreader, this would have never happened. With hope to evoke the proud emotions of accomplishment, satisfaction, and dedication, Adidas sent a congratulatory email to, a cu to its customer base, including participants of the Boston Marathon after the race. Unfortunately for Adidas, it backfired in the worst possible way. The email message read, congrats, you survived the Boston Marathon. <sighs> this is obviously not, op not an optimal message for a race that was hit by a terrorist attack in 2013 that killed three people and injured more than 260. It just <sighs> foundational fortitude, folks. You need a foundation. Who pushed the button on that thing? After the disaster, who pushed it? Come on. Who pushed the button? Congrats, you survived the Boston Marathon. You, oh, okay. Obviously. No foundation in place, at least not a great foundation. It didn't result in crashing Adidas's stock. And it's likely the majority of the customers forgave Adidas for the painful blunder, but it could have all been avoided with the right preparation. Adidas soon after apologized. We deeply apologize for our mistake. The Boston Marathon is one of the most inspirational sporting events in the world. Every year, we're reminded of the hope and resiliency of the running community at this event. Okay. Yeah. Nothing more needs to be said about that one. This one here, <laughs> because I have millennials as children, you, you know, I'm sure they and I see this one differently. Kendall Jenner and Pepsi. 
back in 2017, one of the biggest viral fails of that year. It came at the expense of two of the biggest brands out there today, the Kardashian-Jenner family and Pepsi. In a, <laughs> boy, in a really soft attempt to convey unity, peace, and understanding, Pepsi published a video ad on YouTube that imitates something America has seen, had seen a lot lately um, because of racial um, inequality, um, the unproportionate amount of deaths of unarmed black young men. They were trying. They were trying to depict a protest. And because of what, you know, some of the things I just mentioned, there were a lot of protests happening around that time. Many critics of the video made the comparison of the Pepsi-created protests in the video to Black Lives Matter protests that, have been taking, that had been taking place at that time throughout the nation and over the past few years during that time. And they were specifically, again, in response to the killings of a number of minorities at the hands of law enforcement. And, you know, not just law enforcement, just in general, unarmed black young men were unproportionately um, having their lives taken. The ad consists of a bunch of young, attractive protesters who are a variety of ethnicities and races holding signs about peace and joining the conversation. Many of the facial expressions of the protesters are not that of pain, defeat or frustration, but rather smiles accompanied by upbeat attitudes leading many to believe the ad was insensitive and completely off the mark in terms of the real protests and issues that were happening. Those critics <laughs> were most likely correct. As the New York Times put it, the ad was, as many activists say, precisely the opposite of their real world experience of protesting police, police brutality and not even Jenner and her family could fix that. At the climax of more than two and a, of that two and a half minute ad, Jenner offers a police officer a can of Pepsi, which he accepts and drinks, and the protesters cheer in approval. Yeah. It also cannot be ignored that despite the protest comparison to the Black Lives Matter protest, Jenner is a white woman. This only enhances the fact that is that this Pepsi ad massively missed the mark. Pepsi didn't want to, didn't wait so long to apologize. After enduring intense backlash for the ad that was labeled tone deaf, especially on Twitter and other social media networks, Pepsi pulled the commercial despite spending millions of dollars on it. One industry executive told People Magazine that the commercial likely cost the company two million, two to five million to make. And it was likely that the overall campaign was budgeted for a hundred million, because the campaign was supposed to have legs, it was supposed to stretch. That's quite the oversight in planning, but Pepsi, too, would mostly bounce back from this bad press before 2017 ended. It doesn't mean the brand has been in the clear, though. It was the punchline of many jokes in late night TV when it first launched the ad in April. It still gets brought up in jokes to this day. Pepsi and Jenner, Jenner would both love to take this one back. But they can't. You know why? Because it's the internet. It went viral. It is out there living forever. Forever. Now, this one. He. Dove. Oh, Dove. In an attempt to further solidify its association with positive body image, Dove launched an advertising campaign called Real Beauty Bottles that rolled out six different Dove body wash bottles and claimed beauty comes in all shapes and sizes. Real positive, right? Each bottle was intended to translate into a woman's body type. 
There was a tall skinny bottle, a wide hourglass shaped bottle, a short plump bottle, and so on. While it was trying to further advance the message that body type doesn't truly matter and everyone was, has the potential to feel and be beautiful, it was another sure miss in messaging. And many current and potential, potential customers let Dove know it. Really hard. People claim they didn't need to be reminded of body shapes while in the shower. Just like they always are constantly reminded of that throughout the day of their, you know, non-positive body images. One customer stated, this is so awful. So you can contemplate how far outside the ideal your body is, even in the shower. It wasn't long before it became a long-running Twitter joke and or meme. Crazy. Look it up. Look up Dove and their body image campaign. And that wasn't even the end of the marketing mishaps for Dove in 2017. Later in October, Dove ran what many people considered to be a racist ad on Facebook. It was a three-second video with a black woman removing her top and turning into a happy-faced white woman. For a company that has put so much emphasis on universal beauty and embracing ourselves for who we are and who we truly are, regardless of differences, this ad was another one that it would like to forget. They deleted the ad from their Facebook account the very next day. We'll move on from that. We'll let you Google and look up what those two ads and campaigns were. If you can find them, because Dove has done a great job with erasing that from our memory. As well, they should. Because I don't know about you. And, you, and, and this is less about <clears throat> black and white. This is more about people just don't have the foundation that they need to you know, really market to who their target audiences are. This is pretty basic. You need to have the basics. Somebody on that team, I don't know, somebody, somebody before, it's foundational, before it even got to the studio to be filmed, before you even hire actors and actresses, somebody created a storyboard for that thing. If I am pink, purple, green, and I look at a storyboard that shows you become beautiful as a black woman by peeling off your skin and becoming this white woman, there's a red flag there. Should be. If you got the proper foundation in place, it should be. But unfortunately for Dove in that instance, the proper foundation wasn't in place, the proper planning was not in place for them to avoid that debacle. And again, with social media, these things go viral and they live and they get to the public really quickly and can be really disastrous. All right, number seven, Papa John's. <laughs> I laugh because they, you know, I, let's just go to the example, Papa John's. In response to low sales numbers, Papa John's CEO, John Shatner, blamed the NFL and the protesters of its players who kneeled during the national anthem and how the NFL leadership handled the protest for the bad performance of the pizza chain that is a major sponsor of the advertiser of the league and an advertiser of the league. He says that the NFL has heard us, Shatner said, on an earnings call. Because he didn't think the public would hear this. He didn't think anybody on his earnings call was going to let this crap go viral. He didn't. He just, okay. The NFL has heard us, Shatner said, on an earnings call. We are disappointed the NFL and, his leader, and its leadership did not resolve this. And what he's talking about is the Colin Kaepernick protest. Colin Kaepernick, this is such a, a, a 
oh, this is such a touchy subject. I know with most people. Because you either have one opinion about it or the other. You're either left or you're right. The reality of it is, whether you are left or right, you can't negate that this young man had a particular purpose for protesting and it got skewed and turned into something else. His reason for protesting was to highlight and bring bring some attention to unarmed black and brown people in our country being unduly harassed, targeted, and killed. Unarmed, mind you. It had become and still is in our country a death sentence for black and brown people to do normal stuff. Albeit, let, let me back up. Because I'm going to mention some things that might have even been, you know, that are illegal. I'm not going to name names because, you know, these are families. I don't want to bring up their pain, but you had a gentleman in New York. It is illegal to sell loose cigarettes, but it's not a death sentence. Uh, It might seem irresponsible for, it might seem, I'm not saying it is, because I don't believe it was, a child um, to be in a park and playing with a toy gun. It's a toy gun. But it's not a death sentence. Had a young woman, um, broken taillight, belligerent to the police officer because she didn't understand why she was getting pulled over. She's an adult. She's allowed to be belligerent if that's how she so feels. Being belligerent is not a death sentence. So, in other words, that's what the NFL protest was about. Is that being a normal human with emotions or, you know, even complying to police oftentimes becomes a death sentence. So he's protesting. Papa John CEO states that that protest for basic human rights, so detrimental to him because it caused his sales to go down. And the NFL is responsible because you guys are a major sponsor, so you're supposed to lift his sales, not not deplete his sales. Did he ever think that Papa John's just wasn't hitting it? You know, did he ever think of the opposite? Like, perhaps you just want to meet your customer need. How about that? Two weeks later, the Papa John's brand backpedaled on the statements from his earnings call because it went viral. With a series of tweets claiming it believes in the right to protest inequality and support the players' movement to create a new platform for change. The third and final tweet in the series said that the brand is open to ideas from all to think of a way to work with the NFL and come up with a way to protest inequality and also honor the national anthem at the same time. Now, you could have just said that. Then it condemned neo-Nazis in a blatant and much-needed way. Is that too little, too late? Right on time? You can be the judge. Still, for many Americans, it it was probably a little too late for Papa John's to recover from this blow as quickly as United Airlines was able to from its passenger removal nightmare. Shatner reportedly lost $70 million in one day following the mishap, according to Forbes. This was after achieving an all-time high for stock shares in December 2016, and Shatner being listed on the Forbes list of the world's billionaires in March of 2017. It wasn't long before he fell off that list and Papa John's lost a quarter of his market share in the pizza restaurant industry. Because people, you just cannot not have a strong foundation and a strong um, sense of what your customers need and want and make it. We'll go back to our foundational statement. Your brand lies somewhere in the middle of how you make them feel, what you say, and what you do. 
And as you see from these seven examples, if you're careless with how you make them feel, what you say, and what you do, there's consequences to that. Sometimes in the millions and billions of dollars for larger companies. Oftentimes in your reputation, such as Uber. So there's consequences. There can be a fine line between good, catchy marketing and other marketing themes that people may find offensive and their general context or unintended messages. Messages. There's a fine line between that. Because, you know, everybody's sensibility and um, sense of self and what we believe is inappropriate or appropriate, it all varies. It really does. That's why foundation is important. The foundation of your brand is key because that will sustain. It's ob obviously best not to walk that line as marketers to actually openly offend somebody, of course, especially when we're talking about issues that we just discussed that are as sensitive as race or sexuality and much of the challenges that come with those types of controversial um, topics. So you have to re be really firm foundationally on what your stance is on those things. And make sure foundationally that on your team, there are people that are going to assure that the right brand message that you want to portray is going to be what's out there, not something careless. With that said, one of the biggest <laughs> brand debacles I've ever seen in my entire life, in my entire life, and I'm 50 years old, happened in the last couple of weeks. <sighs> Luxury brand Gucci. Gucci <laughs> put on his website and had on the runway and advertised <clears throat> a sweater. The sweater was a black sweater that you could pull over your face and you had an opening for your mouth. You know, traditionally a ski sweater. But around the mouth of this black sweater, to highlight the mouth, were red lips. It, you know. Red lips. Black face. What comes to mind, because I'm a Southern girl, Sambo. Uh, just so many horrible negative images come to mind. Now, this is on the heels of, and, and you know, it's been so much, I can't remember which one came first. On the heels of the Virginia governor, um, a picture surfacing from a 1984, I didn't say 64, I said 1984, yearbook picture of his that depicted someone in blackface, and everyone's harping on a blackface with that picture. <laughs> Next to the person in blackface was someone with a KKK hood on in 1984. 1984. The insensibility to these images is just uncanny for me. And the fact that there's no foundation for how these things could be leaked and, you know... Mr. Governor, you've looked at that yearbook picture like I don't know how many times because you were graduating from med school, I believe. Okay, you've looked at that picture a thousand times. You knew it was wrong. You've been in office for many years. Somehow, someway, your team, somebody, somebody could have mitigated that risk for you. And I'm not going to even talk about the lack of accountability that you show once it was discovered because that was a whole different thing. Back to this Gucci sweater. Somebody, some way, somehow, somewhere in the French, in the offices in France of Gucci 
Somebody saw that. Like we talked about before, somebody sketched that sucker out. It didn't just magically become a sweater and was made and manufactured and distributed and on the website and in the stores. It was not. Someone somewhere sketched that thing first. Somebody somewhere discussed it and somebody gave it the green light. Who? Don't know. Somebody. The French billionaire who controls Gucci has recently pledged to redouble the luxury brand's cultural sensitivity training for employees after being stunned by the controversy over the Gucci sweater that critics likened to blackface. Francois-Henri Ponault, chief executive and controlling shareholder of Gucci and his parenting company Caring, said the Italian fashion house did not have teams in place to ensure that designs and marketing material did not offend African-Americans. Okay, we're going to say that again. Because that just gave me a low-grade headache. He admits that they did not have teams in place to ensure that designs and marketing material don't offend African-Americans. Huh. We didn't understand the sensitivities of the African-American community. Now, you know this pains me because, I, yeah, 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 I got Gucci's in my closet. So it's painful. We did not understand the sensitivities of, Afri- of the African-American community, which is reflected in that mistake. Mr. Pinault told reporters at Caring's headquarters, we can't be content with just saying we're sorry. So he states he's going to do something about it by increasing and redoubling sensitivity training for his employees to assure that this doesn't happen again. The controversy over Gucci's sweater shows how quickly a brand's misstep, and this is this whole last um, observation sums up today's episode about when brands go bad. The controversy over Gucci's sweater shows how quickly a brand's missteps can be amplified on social media, harming its reputation. A wave of comments on Instagram and Twitter last week pushed Gucci to pull the item. It was a black, again, it was a black sweater that covers the lower half of the face with bright lips surrounding a red cutoff, cutout of the mouth. I repeat, Gucci is a prime example of how quickly a brand's missteps and lack of foundation can be amplified on social media and harms that brand's reputation. Here's the reality, what I'm trying to express to you. I'm not doing this so you can protest or you can not protest. Yeah, that's your personal choice. I personally would not be carrying my Gucci's. I won't be like the Nike people burning stuff. I pay money for that. So, I mean, it just has to sit in my closet and, and do what it does. But I will not be giving them free advertisement. That's just me personally. But what this all should say to you, the seven brands that we talked about, you know, for example, like Uber, Papa John's, um, even the Department of Education and their missteps and the lack of foundation and planning, um, United Airlines and just probably lack of sensitivity and training and how to handle, you know, difficult situations. Those are all foundational. Those are all, you know, pre-planning um, steps that people and brands should take. What it says to you is if large brands and businesses can have these large major missteps, learn from them and you don't make the same mistakes. If Gucci can have earnings lost by not having the right foundation in place, you as a small brand could lose your shirt. You could lose all your 20. You might just have 20 customers. If you are the small farmer who has the best, 
I don't know, grapes or fruit or produce at the farmer's market, and you have that one small misstep, you could lose your entire customer base. Because guess what? Going viral hits the same worldwide web. It does. The same global reach that a Gucci has, you too have. So I say that to say, let's unpack that just a little bit. Marketing and your brand lies somewhere in between, in the middle of how you make them feel, what you say, and what you do. You control that. Make sure it's positive. Um, or even if it's negative, make sure you're accountable for that, right? Because, I mean, maybe, maybe that's what you're going for. But be accountable for what you're, how you're making them feel, what you're saying, and what you do. That's where your brand is. It's, it's in between there. Be accountable for what that is. Put some foundational planning around that, and you'll be just fine. Be very careful and mindful of how and when things go viral, that is out there. It lives, it breathes. Instead of using it for the negative, use it for the positive. The same world reach that you have and that these brands that went wrong for a moment had when it went wrong, you have that same wide reach for it to go right. So people, do it right. Put some planning behind it and then you won't be one of those brands that go bad. You'll be the one that is best on the block. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with me. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Best on the Block. If you need help with your marketing or you just want a consult or whatever your need is, visit us at www.bmpbrand.com. Dot com. Continue to subscribe, like, share, and post. And we'll see you next time.